everybody welcome to the freedom now podcast the freedom now podcast and today i have a good friend and buddy with me why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself brother long hey what's up audience this is the corrupt author cedric long checking in at the truth podcast did i get it right bro (laughs) (laughs) well let's get it let's get into it man so tell us about your book Okay, we jumping right into it. Well, man, I'm a former correction officer and I'm promoting my new book, Corrupt Officers Guide to Love. And man, it's just based off my experiences working at the infamous Tuckwiler Prisons for Women. Uh, the Alabama Department of Corrections has been on a lot of heat lately in the media and stuff. You know, I just always thought I should tell my, you know, um, perspective, my inside perspective. Well, it's good to have you because this podcast is all about freedom. And the main difference that we have from those incarcerated is they don't have that Fourth Amendment right of a reasonable expectation of privacy. And every day we seem to be losing a little bit more and more of our freedoms and civil liberties. But, you know, it doesn't get more into the process of losing your freedom is getting locked up. So. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about your experience in the Department of Corrections and how you see that loss of freedom manifest itself. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. First of all, you said a mouthful. And, you know, like I say, I feel the pressure. And the sad part is you have the generation coming behind you and they don't understand the freedom that was taken, you know, the few inches of freedom that was taken from them. Um, And then the next generation, they take a little bit more. But, you know, when we see freedoms minorly infringed on, we have to fight. But um, as an inmate, your status uh, is your property of the state. So you do have rights. That, that's painful to hear, brother. Your, your rights are second to what they call the security of the institution. So your rights... Um, can be you know manipulated in things and we have a uh i hope to get into we have a mentality to lock them up away and throw away the key and then the policy is you know if you don't like it uh then don't go to prison and that affects our entire society and i hope we can get into that later on but uh yeah i'm a male guard and i'm not against People of other sex, other genders are uh, working in uh, corrections at a male working at a man, uh, female facility or vice versa. A female working at a male facility. I'm not against that because we need them for various posts. But right. uh, as a male, their rights, I, I had to walk into a shower uh, with 12 women showering and could see them totally nude and could lust on them to look at them because their rights, you know, they don't have a right. That, um, it was my right. It was my right to protect the security of that. So I can look at those women however I desire, uh, walk through there at any time to make sure, you know, there's no fights. There's no uh, inappropriate, you know, behaviors going on. Stuff. But, you know, that's one of the things, the reality of it. So, Oh. Well, let, let me ask you something because you brought up a couple of interesting topics right here. I think you brought up 
you know, cross gender supervision. But I, you think that violates somebody's rights if you basically do your job? Uh, not, well, rights. What are rights? There's liberties, and then there's rights. Liberties are ideas we think every human possesses. You know, yes, rights are given to you by a law. So when they become felons, the the state of Alabama rips those rights away. So, um, yeah, I do feel there's a fine line, and I do feel there should be discussions, and I do believe there should be leeway on both sides. But um, I know for a fact, after a while, they become used to it and into institutionalized. But I know for a fact, there's a lot of women who come in there and just are uncomfortable with a male officer, you know, walking through and seeing all the secret parts. I understand what you're saying, but as far as right, I think that would fall under that reasonable expectation of privacy because mm-hmm. he civilian world we wouldn't want anybody looking at us a certain way but I think as an inmate that's the only right forfeit besides the you don't have that right of that reasonable expectation of privacy so you well, can at any time you can be looked at at any time and I would, I would gather that would be the hardest part of being an inmates well uh, I had I heard working five years in corrections I heard of another a number of incidents where someone would ask for medical attention ask for medical attention ask for medical attention and they give them an aspirin they refuse to see them and stuff and then the inmate would die so I wow. think that the and I think the public backs that ignoring um that and that strengthens the department of correction to do whatever they want also i knew from a personal uh when i was working in the kitchen in tuckwiler the meat grinders stink so finally someone gave the order to click uh to, to take that to take that thing apart and clean it and when they took it apart it had maggots in it wow you are know, you serious so, are you yes, serious sir. Yes, wow. sir. And, it, and it, it was nothing. Um, there was nothing the inmates could do about it. What are we gonna do you, about it? You, you saw know? this? Yes, I saw when they took it apart. Oh wow! No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's been a while. No, I did not. I okay. smelled it, and I complained. And later, um, about a week or two late weeks later or something, they took it apart and they came back and they told me. It actually had maggots in it because meat was actually getting up in the parts and okay. staying up in there, and then flies were laying eggs. But it, yeah, it had maggots in it. I didn't actually see it when they took it apart. My memory's a little foggy now, but uh, that's what they reported. It had maggots in it. That's amazing. And I felt pretty bad. It hit me personal because I was there to try a meat patty, and I actually ate one. So. Well, yeah, I used to eat the food at home. They would actually bring a sample tray to the ship. So I ate meat too. And I think that's a good practice to have when you're used to more passes, eat the food bottles and drink it, drink the drinks and stuff. I think that, you know, it's just a small gesture, but I think, you know, you should be willing to eat the same thing 
Now, uh, isn't I did eat. I I would eat on chicken day, and I would eat rolls almost daily. But I wasn't that brave enough for them to bring a tray to the officer like these, especially for you officers. I ain't that bro. I would I I would go by the kitchen and just uh get some fresh out the oven. They they take them out of the oven, the rolls and stuff. I really enjoyed the rolls and stuff. But some of that food, I would never say that food is just disgusting or, or not edible. But it's not appetizing. A lot of the items on there is just not appetizing. I would never choose to eat a lot of their items. Okay, well, what made you write this book? What why? great question great question uh what it initially started with um me and you kind of get desensitized because you work for the department's corrections as well you've been in the military uh a lot of times you get used to what's going on in prison but i would come home and i would tell people about my day if stuff exciting happened and it was just another days at work for me but their eyes would be busting out the socket and so the stories after a while i had a collection of stories and i thought hey man i should put this in a book one day so i always but you can't necessarily write about a tell-all about documented state incidents uh that's part of your oath so i would never just say take an incident report or something that happened in there and just write it so I end up it morphed into making a fictional novel based on the things I experienced. But I also it's not just, um, you know, gore and violence and entertainment. It's written as a fiction. It's very entertaining. But there's also um, addressing issues in the system. Um I, I I talk about nudity. So the public, the, the Department of Correction had this big flaw of hiding everything, all the dunger, dirty laundry. Uh, let's just hide it and no one outside of the prison know. And we're part of our uh, oath is we don't make statements to the media. And that's one of the problems. That's why the system becomes corrupt because if the public knew what was going on, a lot of things the public would demand uh, that those things be changed and then they get the funding to change it. So by hiding our dirty laundry is um, it's hurting us in the long run. So it was just it's a it's a merger of fun things. It's a merger of bringing people civilians into that world and also uh, exposing the dirty laundry so we can either uh, be embarrassed or we can clean it so that was the whole oh. nature of it okay let me ask you this question do you really think the the public cares what goes on behind closed doors because I'm asking you this because a lot of a lot of times I think the public thinks it, it's a joke like you see a lot of jokes about um, males getting raped in prison whether it be a episode of the Fresh Prince or deliverance or just life or you know multitude of movies and stuff like that they just seem to make fun of the problems oh, so i think the public is aware of it i just frankly think the public doesn't really care and and, and see that's another reason there's always individuals who care and right. that's it's thing we are we are, we are uh i didn't mean to cut you off you want to finish making your point before no I make no 
I'm okay. glad that you said that that they're individuals that care. I think that's very important. Yeah, and care. see, one, we have to reach those individuals who do care, and two, um, right. it's we. The prison is a micro ecosystem of our country and of exactly. our world. So exactly. I show people that ecosystems work hand in hand together. Um, when you don't care. And you throw these guys in here and you laugh at them about being raped and the, the, the conditions are horrible. And, and there's a there's a righteous idea that if you make it like hell, the inmates won't want to come back. But we have in, in, the, in, in the in the uh, Alabama Department of Corrections, the the real the reentry rate is above 80 percent. So that that sounds good, but it's not the reality. All that's happened is they're becoming career criminals. It's turning them into career criminals, and they're becoming institutionalized. And what that means is the mind has to adapt to accept those lower, less than human conditions to survive. So it isn't stressful. So they're going in there and they're learning how to work that system. And some of them, of oh, some guys don't even want to come out. They have to stay in there. So. The thing is, is when this guy does something terrible and he goes to prison for five years, eight years, nine years, he's coming back out to date your daughter, to exactly. be friends with your nephew, to, you know, possibly breaking your house. And, and it's making and also to influence other people younger than them. He's still getting out, having kids and teaching them. So our world is progressively getting worse unless we start fighting and changing and uh let me let me make this point about it because i'll say my personal transformation my personal transformation was this when i went in i had the conservative righteous mindset that oh if you don't like prison you know that's your problem stop committing crime just get a job just work and uh, if you do the crime do the time well let me show you the only time uh, we can stop this reoffender rate, this 80%. I think it was like 82 to 86%. I don't know the exact number. The only way we curved that is when they went into trade school. And when they went into trade school and got a trade, guys would get out and they would make $18 hours up to $36 hours welding and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow, they this inmate doing better than me working at the prison. But we shouldn't be jealous of that because once they got a trade, re-entry rate drops from 30% to like 31%. So only 31% of the guys who got trades return back to prison. So if you, uh, and most of the guys, I say about 90% of the guys say, I'm never coming back here. I'm going to get it together. But without the right tools, the right education, the right uh psychology and the right uh, support system on the outside they're coming back and here's right. where it affects us and I, I, I've been long with it but I, I'll let you move but let me say this last thing this is how it affects us there was a captain I don't remember his name he had a niece he raised her as his own child her parents had died she was 17 started college freshman on campus she goes to an ATM and a former inmate robs her at the ATM for $200 and blows her brains out. She dies. So that can be your niece. We can, that guy, I guarantee you, if that guy had gotten a CDL and was making, you know, $1,200 a week, 
that guy would have gotten married and was support his wife and kids. But if you throw them back out and all they've been doing is raping and ganging and knifing and beating up people and doing drugs on the inside, then then that that behavior is not going anywhere. They're going back to crime. They're going to be out with your you, that could have been you, Mister Claiborne. No matter how how good of a citizen he is, that could have been you who caught that bullet that night, or that could have been one of your children. So that's why we should try to change the system. I agree with you because it's like I think sometimes we set people up to fail with the reentry programs not being as effective and the probation and parole like it is and we we expect somebody after they've uh my brother-in-law got released recently and he had trouble you can't just leave somebody locked up he he first went to prison in 1999 Mm -hmm. so of course after almost 20 years that's a tough transition to make Mm -hmm. you expect somebody to show up every day at eight o'clock i mean we we have to be a little bit more realistic and they had to adapt in the environment that they were in to survive. For example, he was at Holman, St. Clair. He was at some dangerous places. Some of them in which you had to pay somebody to watch you sleep. And I mean, people don't understand that. You have to pay somebody to watch you while you're sleeping for protection. Yeah, that is that is crazy. Um, I used to yell at guys and make them go to bed because they'd be up on beds. Uh, drinking coffee and trying to stay up all night but I didn't know sometimes it could be a guy it could be six individuals who you know members of blood a gang or something that's gonna stab them when they go to sleep and they're terrified to go to sleep because when they go to sleep they have several individuals that's gonna try to use a weapon on them so I had to learn that yeah. and you may not care but I promise you um, I'll use a public picture DMX um, at 14 years old was smoking marijuana and one of his friends put crack rock in it as a joke and he's been a crack addict and he's well into his 40s and he's ruined his career and he's, he's right. been jail in and out but you they know called Primo back in the day right uh, Primo yeah, cocaine and marijuana together. Well, no, they they actually they actually this wasn't. Uh, I think it's called. I know some people call it a hash, but this wasn't. They actually took a crack rocks and put in there as a joke. Wow. And he's been addicted to crack since fourteen. So, wow. If we just throw away people, who's to know that inmate doesn't get out, sell a little drugs, and his son does that to becomes friends with your son. And his son does that to your son. Now you've got a drug addict for the rest of your life. Um, we see that with the crack epidemic. No one cared uh, when it was affecting blacks. It was just, well, don't smoke crack and this and that. But now uh, white America, and I don't want to take a yeah. race yeah. thing, but white America is doing with pills and meth and opioids and now they're seeing like wow this is spreading like a disease and it's getting our kids and it is it's a crisis felonies and, and, and it's it, you know so yeah. if we can prevent this stuff uh, anytime we do we plant evil seeds we will 
it's too late once we get the fruit because the fruit comes from branches the branches come from trunks the trunks come from um roots and we have to kill the seeds of the system uh because it's going to be hard just trying to throw away bad apples when you when the whole system the seed was bad you know so we have to do better and care and change yeah i just don't think that people in the outside world really have an idea of how stressful the prison system really is for those people that are in there i really don't and i work there so it it's hard because you know i'm working there but i'm not really seeing what's really going on behind the closed doors of a supervisor or an officer because it's it's just really got to be an overwhelming feeling when you're trapped behind those walls and you see that corruption and that loss coming at you every single day every single day they have to put up with that and i don't see how they would expect you to transition back into society so it's it's really complicated it's really a complicated issue because the mission was to provide you know inmates in a safe secure and humane environment but the mission was mission impossible what say you yeah and it, it starts and like I say we have to go back to the concept of ecosystem you can't expect officers to do their job when you don't look at them as human and you can't expect prisoners to get better when you don't look at them as human I so lost you, morale I came in very enthused about changing inmates and being the best officer and I love the department but I lost morale when I seen when I wasn't treated respectfully. So it was like, why bother? Uh, we didn't receive raises for eleven uh, years straight. I never received a raise my entire career, which I which I lived check to check basically uh, my entire career in corrections. And then when they say they care about officers, I know it's talk because. Um, you're not showing me that. Uh, Governor Ivy, when she came in, what was she? I think that's her name, she came in, she promised, she campaigned on getting state workers raises, lifting forgoes. And when she came in and got in, that didn't happen. Um, you know, so I can't, um, one of the parts of Hey, they, you know, I mean, there's a lot and I have books on that too but one of the biggest problems was officers bringing in cell phones and other contraband drugs to inmates for money and that's awful it, it, is, it is very awful but when you have a hypocritical system you can't you can't keep officers the temptation of I can't pay my rent. I can't afford to pay insurance on my car. I'm riding around without insurance. I can't really pay child support for two kids. I can't really support my wife. My wife has to work now. And then um, the system is doing corrupt things like, uh, you know, the, t the wardens and the commissioner are on a, they make up a make-believe committee and, and pay themselves $10,000 a month to go to two meetings out uh, out the month um, when they're already getting over a hundred thousand dollar salary a year 
you know, and they won't even give you raises. You still at the bottom pay. What respect, what what respect will they have? You know, and there's pressure, and then, you know, then you dare with an inmate who talks to respect and trying to manipulate you and stuff like that. So one thing, one of the things I tried to do is combat office, bringing in contraband. But that's a no-go as far as when they don't respect you when, you, when you don't have the integrity and see the inmates didn't respect officers because it was so many of them dirty. You know, they felt like, you know, you're as dirty as me. Why should I model myself? Why should I uh, look up to you? The system is dirty. I had a lot of, I personally had a good reputation with inmates, but they wouldn't respect me and they wouldn't respect me to the point where they would say, well, you don't say anything about this. You don't say anything about this. If you see me smoking a cigarette, you jump all down my back. But this is going on and that is going on and this is going on and you don't do anything. And I had no defense for that. And that was empowering resistance that made my job a lot harder. That that happened to me one time as well. Um, there was a officer up there whose father was actually an officer. He came to work late. The sergeant got suspicious and he was going to search him. And the guy actually ran away. The sergeant called in to the front gate, told him not to let him through. And he actually climbed the fence. Ha! Uh, from the prison, cut himself <laughs> up pretty bad. But he got whatever he didn't want them to find. Uh, he ended up going to the, uh, you know, of course, going to the emergency room. And he was hurt pretty bad. But that's and an inmate said something to me about it and what could I say? Yeah, yeah. What could I say? The inmate's like, Sarge, you got an officer, you know, jumped over the fence. And I'm... he wasn't making fun of me, but what could I say to him? Mm-hmm. I did not know what to say to this man. I'm just looking at the man. An <laughs> officer escaped from the institution. Oh. Yes, <laughs> yes. And his, his dad actually worked uh, for the system. Mm. you know so that's the thing about corrections a lot of people don't realize it's, it's kind of like a secret in a way and sometimes it's a family hence the title corrupt officers guide to love in my other book well officers I, I, wasn't, money. I wasn't corrupt but um, the inmate said that to me and all I could do was look the inmate in the I like a man and kind of raise my arms like Michael Jordan did when he hit that that three pointer against Portland. <laughs> and you I can vouch for you. You've always what to say. You've always had inmate, personal integrity. The inmate is absolutely right, but my viewpoint is you can't put integrity into somebody in twelve weeks in an academy. They have to have it. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to have it. They have to have been taught that a long time ago. Well, there's, so also, I think, there's also seduction and, and paradigm shifts. So I, I don't care. I don't care what seduction. I mean, this is this isn't Star Wars. This ain't the dark side now. I mean, you but you gotta to, look at I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure um oh uh, there's different temptations. Uh, I I I'll I'll tell you like this. I I I was proud I never brought in contraband. I never um it took while we had a lot of officers sleeping with inmates to the point where some of them were losing their marriages and getting them pregnant. It was some beautiful women over there. 
I never they had that issue. Up. They need to be locked up for but, rape if that's what they were doing. An officer said something to me and it got on my skin. It made me mad, but she was absolutely right. It made me change. And I'm not snitching on myself, but if you can read between the lines, um, she said to me, she said, off the loans. She said, just because you don't bring in drugs or you haven't slept with an inmate, that doesn't mean you're a good officer. She said, if you misuse force, then you're a dirty officer as well. And that made me so hot. And it was uh, every time she was it was Sergeant uh, Monica McCoy. And she's, she's always been solid. Excellent uh, supervisor. Love her to death, support her to death. But when she said that it crushed my soul, and I was like, yeah, because I didn't want to, I wanted to, you know, self be self-righteous in my own mind. But, um, I would never do anything gross, um, abusive, or, or ne- use force when it wasn't necessary. But, um, you know, to be honest, I enjoyed using force. I enjoyed flicking pain. And once I was justified in using it, I may have assessed in a time or two but uh you know we have to we all will have a weakness and that weakness can be exploited you know I, I guess so but I look at it like this like you talking about um the sergeant told you about using force and all that I look at it like this if there are a thousand cops in a police department Mm-hmm. and they're good cops and you bring in 10 dirty cops mm-hmm. okay if nobody says anything about it how many dirty cops do you have my estimation is you have a thousand and ten dirty cops mm-hmm. so well that's, that's the thing we when we talk about corruption and stuff mm-hmm. we're not only talking about those who do fall into that thing but we're talking about those people who just don't say anything and see, or look the other way. We need That's minds the- like you in training because uh, that was never expressed by my supervisors or by the training I personally went through. I know it's different okay. instructors that go in and out, but uh, you know, there's the unspoken code. The unspoken reg is like, you know, we don't help inmate versus officer. We look away and for certain things and stuff. That's that peer pressure. And there's the system of where you feel like a lot of inmates don't report stuff, abuse cases, because they feel like nothing's going to be done. And there's a lot of times when you see officers doing um, certain stuff that you don't particularly agree with or you wouldn't do, you don't necessarily go report that officer because you feel like nothing will be gone or you will be blacklisted. There's pressures there. So those are things that need to be discussed in training. Well, and well, I know we're I know we're kind of going a little long, but let me ask you this question because the whole culture is really being affected by this George Floyd thing right now. Yes, sir. And I think that's affecting people inside and outside. Yes. So one of the officers was saying that it was only their fourth day on the job, but my philosophy is you already know the right and wrong thing to do. You already have a compass. Do you think that officers aren't listening to the compass that they already have? 
or is it just the whole system is corrupt or was he just individual no this care? was was this guy actively holding him down or was this a guy just all of them there was only one officer who yeah, wasn't I, I really don't care um I'm not gonna sit there I'm not gonna sit there and let you sit on a dude's neck uh or something like that while I'm holding his leg down or something like that but um um there is we have there are several cases where officers have stopped their partner and been fired and been blacklisted from law enforcement um i was personally blacklisted for uh um law enforcement and i've seen where i uh, i know a personal friend who was they took the inmate side and they tried to prosecute the officer and they had no grounds to do it as because they had a vendetta against them. so abusive systems will scare you you know it's kind of hard to it's kind of like man just get checked and shut up you know they're scumbags they're criminals anyway and of course that really infuriates me because I'm a black citizen and I don't want to see police get abused but also um, I can't have the hypocritical nation to look at inmates and say well they're less on the inside because they committed felonies because technically we're trained punishment is incarceration they don't need any extra Exactly. I don't think people understand that. Yeah. I think a lot of civilians think that they're supposed to be punished extra in prison or it's a good thing that there's rape or intimidation or that type of thing in the prison. And it's going it's going to affect you. Um Yeah. It's going to when they get out, it's gonna affect you. These guys are coming out. The majority of these guys are coming back out. And it may it may go in, you know, you date women and these women have emotional issues and they have abuse. Maybe these guys, these guys who are coming out, they're not going to be fully functional, healthy guys, but they're still going to get into relationships. They're still going to have kids. They're still going to. So I'm not paying them all to be bad. There are a few that, that come out and do exceptionally well and become, you know, Nelson Mandela was an inmate. You know, Malcolm X actually was a drug addict and a and a criminal, and he converted yes, to, to the Nation of Islam, and then he came back and became an obsessional. But we can't hold the ma- the majority of people who got addicted to drugs and went into prison didn't come out to be a Malcolm X. You know, uh, the majority of them are in the grave or life without. You know, so. That's not the recipe for greatness. So we have to look at the ecosystem, the, the effect. It will affect you. If you're tired of crime, if you're tired of um, after wilds, whole sides of towns, you're not comfortable on them because crime is going over. You're tired of, well, I don't go to this mall anymore. I go to East Chase because this mall has become hood and it's too many disrespectful teenagers. Well, this problem is going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing until we attack it at care. It is start caring for people. Well, that's very well said. Um, and now we're coming to the end of this episode, but we're definitely going to have to do a, a part two. Yes, sir. And we definitely have to come back and talk about some more of this because 
the main thing that you talked about was that there's a lack of understanding of the public. And I think you truly believe if the public understood the the environment and the conditions in this system, they would want to change. And I am I am kind of of a different mindset, but I'm open and I hope that you're right. I hope that you're right and that I'm wrong in this case. Because I think that people know the system is broken and they just don't care. They don't care, but when they see how, if we can educate them how it affects them, then we can get more to care and we can we can make change and progress. We can't make the world perfect, but my hope is we can make more progress by educating people on how it affects them. Uh, because your tax dollars is, is housing them inmates. And I'll leave it at that. Okay, thank you so much for joining me. And as always, this is the Freedom Now podcast. Freedom Now. I think I said truth podcast at the beginning but i got it freedom now thank you for your work bro okay thank you and you keep on doing what you're doing brother